Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hey everyone, welcome to the Mellow Compass podcast. We are the podcast that aims to educate our listeners on the variety of opportunities available in the music industry by really getting beneath what job titles actually mean. Today, we are speaking to Caitlin Davies, exploring a topic which has been at the forefront of music news in recent years, Web3 and blockchain technologies. For me, this was certainly a listen and learn episode, and I can promise that you will come away from this conversation much more clued up on this topic than at the start. I certainly did. Welcome, Caitlin. Really awesome to have you on the podcast today, sharing your knowledge of this space. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So I'm going to kick off kind of looking back at your career and how you ended up um, at where you are right now. So I know you're Canadian, you're from Toronto, you're living in Lisbon at the moment. So tell us a little bit about the journey from leaving Canada and the couple of different roles that you've had um, to where you are today. Yeah, it's been a pretty crazy journey. It started, I guess, about seven years ago. I A little bit more than seven years ago, I guess eight years ago, I was working in my first music job in Toronto. Uh, it was like an artist and brand development company. I was doing publicity and artist management. And I started to very quickly realize that there's uh, a pretty low ceiling in Canada when it comes to culture work. Even if you work for some of the biggest companies, you're often executing marketing campaigns that came from the US or the UK. And I was just after something a little bit different. Um, I was born and raised in Toronto too. So I think I, I wanted to you know, see more of the world. And I just kind of got into my head that I wanted to go to London. It felt like, I don't know, the easiest one to do. Uh, you know, English speaking, it wasn't too complicated to get a visa. So yeah, about seven years ago, started the application for a visa and left to the UK in May 2016. I was actually working in film festivals when I first, when I left Toronto and when I first got to London. It was really amazing, but I kind of quickly 
started to realize that I was surrounded by all these people who really loved film and the way that they talked about film was the way that I felt like I talked about music. Um, and I kind of realized that it was it was time for me to, to get back into music. I think I needed that break, but um, it was time. So sort of, I count many like lucky strokes in my life. There's a lot of stuff that I, I can't really say why it happened or why it happened to me, but I just feel feel lucky and grateful that it did. But I had applied for a job at a company called Boiler Room, which is a music streaming platform, I guess. Um, primarily runs off of YouTube videos. Listeners might be familiar with it. And I had applied for a job there before I'd left Toronto, actually, and they had got back to me uh, saying that they were interested in, in speaking with me. Um, so I ended up interning there and pretty quickly started working there in like office management and studio production stuff. It was a like crazy place to work. Like just really everybody was so on it in terms of their like musical knowledge and what they were up to outside of office hours. Like everybody ran a label or a club night and it was just it was the best again I feel really lucky to have like been there at that time and met the people that I did some who are still like really good friends to this day um so that was kind of a crazy year because I decided to go back to Toronto for a little bit to work on some music festivals um and then went to New York for a little bit with Boiler Room so I was kind of all over the place in in 2017 uh, and then beginning of 2018, I was back in London, back at Boiler Room, and I was having some complications with my visa, and I wasn't ready to go back to Toronto, so I decided to move to Berlin. It was kind of on a whim. I knew some people there. It felt like sort of an equally like musical place, um, and I was I was interested in exploring there. So I went to Berlin. Really thought I was only going to stay like a year. I don't know really what I thought I was going to do otherwise, but um, I maybe go back. I think in my heart, I was like, I'm going back to London. I'm going back to London. Um, but I ended up staying in Berlin for four years. I worked at a record label called K7 and pretty quickly uh, transitioned into a role at SoundCloud there. And I worked there for like three years. That was kind of my pivot from more marketing and events-based roles to a much more digital or, or technical focus. I think I had an interest in the way that technology and, and culture interacted, but that was kind of the first time. Like SoundCloud is very much a tech company that has a music focus, but it's a tech company, just as Spotify is and, you know, just as many of the, of the streaming platforms are. Uh, and, and many like smaller music tech companies as well. But I really learned a lot from being in a more like product environment. It was just interesting to see that the people making big decisions or working on a lot of the projects at SoundCloud had a really different understanding of of the music industry or, or really no understanding at all. Um, in a way that like all of the other roles I had held were very much like small micro music communities with people really, really tuned in. So it was interesting to kind of blow up that experience and, and work for quite a big company with a really diverse group of employees and a really diverse customer base as well. And then early last year, it felt like my time in Berlin was coming to an end. It felt like my time at SoundCloud was coming to an end and again, was ready for another change. So I started spending time in Lisbon over the course of last year and settled here late last year. 
kind of alongside that journey, I started getting into Web3, which I'm sure we can kind of, we'll get into. Um, but when I made the leap to leave my job at SoundCloud, I started contributing um, more substantially to a bunch of Web3 projects, which kind of leads me to where I am today. Amazing. Okay. So yeah, there's a lot in there. And I think one thing that the listeners could take away from that is that, you know, where you are now doesn't have to be where you start out. And all of the experience you develop along the way really feeds into where you want to be in the future. And, you know, I can see common themes of tech, community, collaboration, diversity through each step of that journey. Focusing on Web3 now, you created CoQuo whilst you were at SoundCloud um, with two others, she said so, members. And that is one of the areas that you started to look at whilst working with that collective and then also at SoundCloud. So what was it that led you to that work? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I met my fellow co-quoers, Mel Powell and Rainia Kim in Berlin. We had all recently moved there, uh, Mel and Rainia, both from LA. And we had, I guess I'll credit Rainia with a lot of this thinking is uh, she's been experimenting with um, incorporating artificial intelligence and machine learning tools in her practice for a really long time. And we were talking about collaborating on something potentially for She Said So. Uh, Rainia was on the She Said So power list in 2017, I guess that would have been, or 2018. And we weren't really sure exactly how we were going to, like what our collaboration was going to turn into, but we, you know, were in touch. And then this opportunity came up with Jägermeister, actually. They were doing these artist residencies um, in a club venue in Berlin. Basically, they were awarding collectives or artists sort of the keys to this club for two weeks and then a budget to program and, and sort of kit out the club. So we decided to apply for that as, as a collective. And there was conversation about applying for it as she said so. And then we just kind of realized that the three of us just had this really tight shared vision um, that was really closely linked with um technology and science and art and music um and also yeah like I think the visual art thread through that was really important for us too and, and like a discourse thread as well so we applied for the residency we ended up getting it and we collaborated with another collective called DigiGal they're primarily female female identifying and non-binary people who are like 3D artists um, like 3D renderers 3D graphic designers so our residency looked amazing it was so cool um and yeah there was just like a big group of us collaborating on this two weeks of programming it was a whirlwind and, and really crazy but um it really like opened my eyes to kind of new ways of collaborating and also just kind of like different spaces of collaboration like audiovisual collaborations and you know we did film screenings and talks and um workshops and it was just really cool to kind of um, 
collaborate with this like amazing group of people. And then once we sort of had this co-quo idea going, we wanted to kind of run with it uh, a little bit. Again, we weren't really sure how or what that was going to look like, um, but we kept collaborating. We did a digital event series in the summer of 2020 uh, in the pandemic. And then we started a radio show on a local radio station in Berlin called Refuge Worldwide, which we still have the show to this day. This month was our two-year anniversary, which is super exciting. Congrats. Thank you. And yeah, at the beginning of 2021, there was this grant that we had, we kind of had this joke in Coco that anytime we would find out about a grant, the deadline was in like two days. <laughs> and we were like, uh, and there was this one we had heard about from the music board in Berlin, sort of, it was around, um, helping people launch new careers or in the music industry. Um, so relevant for this podcast, I guess. Very relevant. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> or helping artists sort of further their careers in the music industry. Um, and we, so we were thinking about doing some sort of like educational program around it, but we, we were like, okay, look, this, the current deadline is in two days, but the next one is in six months. So let's like table this for now and we'll talk about it again in a few months. So a few months went by and I was thinking about the grant and also serendipitously, I guess, um, I had a knee surgery around that time. So I was like in bed for six weeks, not able to do much. And I guess this is the serendipitous part of it. It was February, 2021, which is when this sort of crazy NFT boom happened. Um, so a lot of big price tags, a lot of people talking about it, being like, what is this? A lot of like acronyms getting thrown around. And I had the pleasure of speaking to some people at the end of 2020, I was working on a dissertation to finish off my bachelor's degree and I was writing about the effects of platform capitalism on the music industry and I spoke to a few people uh David Turner Liz Pelly and Matt Dryhurst sort of around the state of things how we got here and also sort of with like a look to the future and Matt mentioned DAOs and Ethereum and cryptocurrencies and Honestly, at the time, I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, I mean, I think I had heard of Ethereum before and I had like heard of cryptocurrencies, but I didn't really know what he was talking about. Uh, so I was kind of doing some Google searches at the end of 2020, beginning of 2021. So when this big boom happened, I felt like I had some like good threads to, to tug at when I was sitting in bed just trying to do research and kind of... What I realized in that initial research was that if all these people are kind of setting out to build a new, more collaborative, more ownership-driven internet, that's all well and good. But if the people look the same and have the same ideals as, you know, the Jeff Bezoses of this world, then like, what's the point of building a new internet? Because the new internet, that like, that just sounds like the internet we currently have that doesn't benefit the artists that make a lot of these platforms so valuable. So that was kind of one thread of it. And then kind of on a similar but tangential note, 
it was just so complicated. Like the barrier to entry was so high that I was like, how are we going to get new people and more diverse people interested in this when immediately people hear, you know, these acronyms and they're they're just like, nope, I'm not interested. I'm going to put my songs up on Spotify or I'm going to just keep, uh, you know, continuing using technology in the same way that I always have been, which is fine. But I was like, how are we going to get people with new perspectives into this space? So I ended up applying for funding to this grant program to do an educational series, which was sort of my like foray into things and, and really my introduction to understanding like how people understand what web three is don't understand what web three is and i think sort of like the most um basic way to talk about it because you know i was talking about web three to a group of people the other day and they were like wait so is like web three like a computer program or is it like a company and i was like oh no but that's so that's so interesting that that's where your mind goes and i kind of think about web three is sort of like a new generation of the internet like it's not totally different from web two it's not totally different from web one um but it's sort of like a new layer on top of it yeah and i think you know, Web3 does suppose the existence of a, of a Web2 and a Web1. So Web1 was sort of this like beginning days of the internet. All you could do was really like read things on the internet and traditional forms of commerce came online. So that was like when Amazon first started. Um, it was when a lot of newspapers started digitizing and, and creating websites, but there wasn't really an interactive layer to it. And then web two is when people started like interacting with these things that they saw on the internet. So that was kind of like the rise of social media and, or like readers of the internet became users of the internet. Um, and, you know, a sort of really complex, diverse web of commerce and uh, news media. And I think sort of the idea of, of media and was kind of flipped on its head and the ideas of like sort of distribution whether that's like newspapers or albums was really shifted away from this idea of owning the thing and just being able to access the thing so previously you would like go to the store or you would have a newspaper delivered to your house and then you owned that newspaper you didn't necessarily you didn't own like the copyright of what was written in it but you you physically held it in your hand and it was your newspaper and your neighbor had a different newspaper delivered to them and that was their newspaper you know or in the context of music you know you like went to a mall and you went into an HMV and you bought a CD and that CD was yours, you know? And what sort of Web2 did is said, well, what would it mean if the information contained in that newspaper or the songs on that CD, what if everybody had access to them? And it wasn't about ownership, it was about access, which did amazing things. Like I think that uh, making things more accessible is, absolutely a great thing and i think in the in the example of of newspapers and cds we've just seen like journalists and musicians can't make money anymore or the ways that they can make money is not through newspaper or cd sales you know so i think that there wasn't a lot of care or attention given to those people. It was all about the these conglomerate companies that were you know becoming increasingly bigger, increasingly higher valued with none of the value going back to the people who were 
accessing or adding information to these platforms. And I think that this is sort of like where the desire for a new internet comes from, the desire for a third generation or a web three comes from. And I would like definitely say that we're not in web three yet. Like there's a lot of really cool projects working towards it, but we're not there and things are still operating, you know, Amazon, Alphabet, the parent company of Google and Apple are still like three of the biggest companies in the world. And I'm not sure that's going to change anytime soon. But I think that Web3 offers this really interesting possibility. And I think that the, it was something I was thinking about last night, actually, in a really different context, but that like the possibility that something could be different, the possibility that you could change something is often enough for you to do it. Imagining that the world could be different is sometimes enough of a catalyst, you know? Yeah, that is incredible. Um, and yeah, I mean, the world is full of endless possibilities, but it's only when you put those possibilities into action that we really do see change. Exactly. So I think that there's something, I'm excited about the energy around Web3, especially now, because, and I know we said we weren't going to talk too much about the financial side of things, but um, I mean, the financial side of like the tech industry at large is not great at the moment. I'm sure listeners are like very familiar with like huge tech layoffs. I mean, yesterday, Spotify laid off like 600 people, I think. Like it's really, it's happening everywhere. And in Web3, it's less about layoffs and more about like, a year ago, there was a lot of money pumping into the space. So investors were really interested in these new possibilities and they were pumping money into a lot of projects. And now people are kind of putting the brakes on a lot of that money because it's more expensive to borrow money because of inflation. Like it's all tied to, it's all tied to itself, you know? And so right now it's just like a lot of projects aren't coming to fruition in the same way that they were, or a lot of projects are maybe operating in a, at a slower pace because they weren't able to hire, hire in the same way. But I think what that means, there were a lot of people who were just in it for the money. And I got to a point where I was like, respect, like if that's what you're here for, if you're here to like, um, you know, buy at NFTs and sell them at a higher cost and that pays for your rent, cool. You know, like, who am I to like, everybody's got to pay their rent, I guess. But it's a lot of those people are kind of gone now. And it's a lot about it's, it's more about these people who are looking to like, build and experiment with with new things. Got it. Okay. So touching on two things just there, you know, you mentioned that, you know, buying CDs and newspapers is not making artists money any longer I mean they haven't been for a while um and you know we've got these big giant tech companies who really are the living source for artists and creators out there like we're in this new creator economy so with web3 what are some of the ways that music creators can make the most of this space like we had a big spike in nfts at the beginning of 2021 you know like you say everyone went crazy about that and there was, there was money being thrown around but i question whether people actually really knew what that was about 
Um, and then you have like companies like Warner Music Group partnering and buying shares in many companies who are also in this Web3 blockchain space. So it's clearly had like an influence on the industry. But what does that really mean for the music creators? And what's like the real opportunity for them um, going forwards? Yeah, I for me, what I think is the most interesting opportunity for musicians is like, for me, the most meaningful music has always had this direct tie to communities. So whether that's like millions of BTS fans or, uh, you know, people obsessed with Dua Lipa, or that's like really, you know, small basement gigs with 10 people there. But like in both cases, all of those people are so excited to be there and they sort of feel like they're participating in this culture, whether or not that's like a parasocial relationship or, or an actual relationship, it, you know, kind of remains to be seen. But like, I think that music in and of itself can and absolutely does make meaning for people. But I think the communities surrounding music are so often what inspire people to to participate and for and what inspire artists to kind of keep coming back out with more music if nobody was listening and no one was showing up to your gigs you you might think of something different and even if it was only 10 people but those 10 people were super into what you did you'd probably keep doing it for those 10 people you know and so i think what web3 offers is this real opportunity to engage with that community in a way that feels a little bit less icky than like kind of trying to harvest plays on Spotify or get on playlists or trying to like post funny TikToks or you know beautiful people posting beautiful selfies on Instagram or you know I think a lot of people have their guard up to those things now and it's a little little bit harder to like breakthrough in these more like traditional ways but what like the challenge and the opportunity in web3 is is like you really need like a white glove approach to approaching your fans or your audience like it's a lot of like one-to-one conversation it's a lot of like twitter spaces and discord chats but like Mm. there's so many people doing it so well and like making these really fruitful interesting careers like there's um, an artist uh, named Verite who actually was on one of the workshops that I hosted very early in 2021 as part of that grant series but she's and she's been making music forever like I think I saw her play for the first time in 2015 2014 um, and she has like a kind of you know long-standing career as an independent musician but she's really kind of tapped into this web three market and like this afternoon I was listening to her on a Twitter space and she was saying like this was the first thing I did when I got up and I'm happy to be here you know and I think I think her fans really feel and and genuinely have this like relationship with her that is kind of enabled by web three tools whether that's like um you know they I mentioned this sort of dynamic between access and ownership. And I think that Web3 really privileges ownership. And I think you see people buy into things or maybe buy in is the wrong word. You see people identify with projects so much more now when they own a part of it, Um, whether that's like, whether that is just a CD or a t-shirt or if it's like a digital collectible or a physical collectible like I think that like this ownership layer is really important and when people feel like they kind of have a a stake in an artist's career 
I think that there's something interesting there. So one other thing I really wanted to dig into are the career opportunities in the space of Web3 and blockchain. Um, it's obviously a really rapidly evolving space. Um, what are some of the common job opportunities which you are seeing at the moment or which you think are going to unfold in the near future? Something that I think is really cool about Web3, the, the Web3 space versus like the Web2 space is that like, in web two, it's, it's so hard to break into the market. Like there's all of this like jargon around product management. And I think that like the same exists in the music industry. It's really hard to get your foot in the door. Whereas across the space in web three, whether you want to like be a developer or you want to market cool projects, like there's just this real, if you have an appetite to get involved, there is most likely somebody or an organization ready to have you involved, you know, like, um, I, I really think that like, in web three right now, like the more you put in, the more you get out. And there's so many projects who are like looking for contributors. And I think that this, you kind of just build this relationship over time. And like, the, the space is small, and people are only, you know, I've just seen this real this these kind of like open arms to people who are interested there's like always a seat at the table for you in a way that i just don't see in traditional music and tech how would you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. And then I think kind of speaking to this like hand-to-hand, one-to-one marketing approach that a lot of Web3 projects like need. Um there's a lot of space for for marketers, I think, like people who understand the dynamics of Web 2, but are also interested to dig in and maybe make more meaningful. Like, what does it really mean to have 10,000 impressions on a tweet if nobody clicks the link or whatever? You know, like, I think that there's a lot of like muddied metrics in Web 2, whereas I think there's probably a lot of people frustrated with that so I think for people who kind of have an understanding of how to market things but want to want to maybe try different approaches or, or try new things I think that web3 is is a really cool space and and I think like the last thing I'll say on that is that like you know the web3 space is so it's still relatively new you know like bitcoin was started in 2008 and I believe a Ethereum was started in 2015 or 2016. So like you, even the experts haven't been in the space for 10 years, you know? So it's just, I feel like there's this real opportunity for like, if you are interested and eager and you want to read up, like you can in theory, become an expert pretty fast and get involved pretty fast. I've only really been in the Web3 space for two years, you know, and there's been like a sort of wealth of opportunities that I've been able to participate in that I just don't think would have happened in the more traditional music industry for me. And what are some of the projects that you're aware of right now, which you think would be interesting to explore? Yeah, there's a few really cool music projects out there right now. Um, there's one that I often talk about called Song Camp. It's a group of people who are kind of interested in taking the traditional songwriting camp model and flipping it on its head um, for like listeners of the podcast who might be familiar with the, the structure of songwriting camps, like oftentimes labels. Um, we'll get a group of artists uh, or writers in the room to write songs for big pop stars. And uh, what often happens is nothing happens to those songs. This is when you when you hear about like, oh, Rihanna was originally supposed to sing that song, but then Britney Spears took it or whatever. Like, that's how that happens. And uh, I think for the people in those writing rooms, it's really frustrating because you basically sign over ownership when you participate in those camps. And what Song Camp does is it kind of redistributes ownership to all of the people participating in in their camps. So they've done three officially now. And the last one had 77 musical artists as part of it. They called it their headless band called Chaos. Um, I'd really recommend people like just look into that project, especially if you're pretty new to Web3 or know nothing about Web3 at all. Like I think that there's a lot of ties back to the more um, traditional music industry and just like extensions upon what those things are doing. So uh, Song Camp is a really cool project. There's another project called Heads, H-E-D-S, I think, Heads Dow. And they um, work with artists. They'll have like an artist provide a sample and then they'll put the sample up for download. They'll put like an open call to their community to make songs with the with the sample and then they'll stitch all the songs together in like one continuous mix uh and there's different ways to like support that that mix and that sample um but is like 
I, I don't know exactly what their revenue model looks like, but I know that it's kind of all like shared ownership in the project. I think the thing that is like still frustrating is, or I can imagine would be really frustrating for artists is that like label contracts, whether they're like major labels or more independent labels are pretty prohibitive about like what you're allowed to do and not do with your music. And so right now I think you're seeing most people who are having success in like the web three music space are are independent artists because they don't have these kind of large contracts looming behind them in terms of like what they can and can't do with masters and recording rights and stuff like that um and i think i guess this is very tangential or kind of a big side note to your original question but i think something that i would warn people from thinking about is there's a lot of people in the web three space who are like we are going to like revolutionize music royalties and music attribution and music licensing and they're like we're just gonna like input all of the isrcs into like a database and then everything will like transact on its own and it's like you have no idea what the music industry looks like. You have no idea the sort of like eccentricities behind music metadata and truly what a mess it is. And that like these things aren't just going to happen at like the the touch of a button. Um, and so I would encourage people to not think about how can I make my next record an NFT or how can I make my record label a, a DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization. But like think about like, oh, I've always wanted to like release music with my friend in another country and have our other friend do visual works for it and have our other friend write an, a long form essay inspired by it. How could we publish that in a way? Sort of thinking about new ways to distribute artwork, I think is like the big opportunity. And rather than kind of port more traditional modes of, of distribution, like to go back to the idea of like going to a store and buying a CD. If you had told somebody working in that record store, like one day you're going to be able to like log into this app on your computer or on your phone, and you're going to be able to listen to all of those songs for free, people would be like, what are you talking about? Like that makes no sense, you know? So I think people have to kind of like, open we're, we're so used to like thinking in in the ways that we're told to think um or taught to think and i think it's there's an opportunity here to kind of imagine new things mm, got it got it and the work that you're doing with friends with benefits and refraction dow both of those are social dows how does that or does it not feed into what you were just sharing about shared ownership and having different ways to promote your art, whether it's music or if you've been a visual artist? How does that kind of all come together under these org organizations, should I call them? Or, um, yeah, they're, they're social DAOs, aren't they? And perhaps actually, um, for anyone who's listening, it'd be good to share what, what a DAO actually, actually is in the first instance. Yeah, so a DAO is a decentralized autonomous organization. I think the best way to describe it is like a group chat with a bank account. Um, so oftentimes, but not strictly, 
um, people put uh, sort of financial resources essentially like into a pot to gain membership into a DAO. That pot is like effectively your your shared bank account or your treasury. And then like the sort of token that you get in return is how you vote on decision making. So signal like yes or no in a decision. Um, and it's also sort of how you like prove your, it's kind of like your membership card um, to, for anybody who has like ever been a part of like a gym or a members club, you get like a physical card that, that gives you access into, into sort of into the gym or the restaurant or whatever it is. Um, these sort of digital cards allow you access to digital spaces. So we were talking about Discord before, which is where a lot of Web3 projects convene. It's kind of just like Slack, but a little bit more customizable. So your digital token gives you access into this uh, digital space, which which could be Discord. It often is Discord. Um, and then it also gives you the ability to decide how you as a group of people spend that shared money. Um, so the money can come from different places. It can come from members. It can come from investors. It can come from record sales. It can come, it's sort of dependent on how you as a group of people who form, form this group decide where you get your money. I guess there's probably even a way it could come from like government granting systems, but I'm sure that's a that's a different uh, discussion for a different day. Um, but yeah, so like that's that is sort of what a DAO is, and then with refraction in particular, we are sort of focused on digital art and music intervention, presentation, commission, curation. Um, so the, what that looks like is we have host events all over the world. We've done events in, in countless places at this point, but, uh, Toronto, Miami, New York, London, Sao Paulo, Berlin, Vancouver, the Montreal, there's like, and, and even more to come, uh, and sort of what the this shared bank account allows us to do is to kind of decide how we how we allocate our raised funds so what what parties do we throw and what artists do we curate and then it also allows the artists who are part of the community to be a part of those parties that we throw or the you know oftentimes the nights that we throw um have like a visual component to it so like whether that's like a gallery that's on during the party um, but we've seen some like really cool collaborations between like a, a real kind of breadth, breadth of artists. Um, and I think if you were a digital artist, even five years ago, you know, there, there's been like a history of, of net artists and people kind of doing interesting things with internet technology to make art, but there was really no way to monetize it. Like it was, it was just difficult. And now there's an interesting way to say like, I'm going to sell you this digital file, or I'm going to put the digital file up for auction, or I'm going to present this digital file in a, in a gallery show and maybe somebody will buy it. You know, I think there's, I won't go too much into like market dynamics or like art market dynamics but like the traditional art world is really difficult and really like 
prohibitive in terms of like, you can't even just walk into a gallery and say, even if you had all the money in the world, you can't just walk into a gallery and say like, I want to buy that painting. You kind of, you have to have the sort of social capital to, to be a part of those transactions. And I think what's really interesting about uh, Web3 or and with NFTs in particular is that um, you you have the opportunity as literally anybody to invest in an artist career that you think is is interesting. So I think a lot of people are like, why would I pay $100 for that JPEG? But for me, it's not about $100 for that JPEG. It's like, okay, I think that this piece of artwork is cool, but I also think that I'm invested in this artist making more artwork, you know? So it's not just a hundred dollars towards that artwork. It's a hundred dollars towards their, their practice of being an artist. You know, I think this idea of like patronage is something that we think of like old people going to orchestras, you know, um, or like big patrons of art museums. But I think there's a way with, with web three to, kind of whether you're an artist and like establishing a patronage or whether you're like a patron and interested in investing in artists you know I can I can think of countless times over the last year where there's been projects that I've been support that I've supported and then like gone and seen it displayed somewhere and it's just it's like powerful it's meaningful you're like oh I feel like I had something to to do with the fact that this is here. Um, and I think that that's, uh, for anybody who has like ever been a deep fan of anything, um, that's a that's an exciting thing to like come to pass. Yeah. So how does that actually work? So if you are part of a project which is curating artwork for an artist, isn't there something to do with an NFT where you have, where you can buy it and then your own a part of it and then if it's reproduced then you'll make more money there's some, something about like you would make um money from it and then also the artist would continue to make money from it yeah kind of like a, a collectibles that's generating income for the creator and also the buyer yes so I think like also, when you talk about ownership, it's again, like important to highlight this difference between like owning the physical thing and owning the intellectual property. Like I think a lot of a lot of projects sort of like misrepresent themselves in that they're saying like you can own a part of this song, but like you're not really you don't really own a part of that song. Maybe you like own a, a sort of you own the digital file of it more often than not you don't actually own any of the intellectual property maybe as part of that sale the artist is selling you um, a small portion or giving you a small portion of, of the copyright but more often than not it's like the nft is a digital object and so let's say you sold that for ten dollars to me and then I said, this is great, but I don't want it anymore. I'm going to sell it for $20. If I chose to do that, you can basically, from the moment that you sell it, hard code royalties into it. So if, let's say, I did sell it for $20 and you had a 10% commission on it, I would get 18 and you would get 2 So there's always kind of this like kickback back to the artist, which is like, something that obviously doesn't exist in more traditional art markets. And I think that that idea, I know for a lot of people that they've sort of dug into that dynamic and that's kind of like what's blown their minds about it because you could think about like 
if you owned, let's say either of us were alive in the seventies and we had bought like an original Fleetwood Mac album. Amazing. And yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm into that. <laughs> probably for like a dollar or like a pound or something. And because we like were interested in their careers. And I guess maybe some people in the seventies were thinking like, wow, this is going to be worth a lot one day, this like original pressing, but probably most people were just like, I'm interested in this, in this artist's career, you know? And they've held on to that record since, I don't know when rumors came out, like 1975 or something. They've held on to that record for nearly 50 years and 50 years yeah uh nearly 50 years and now that original test pressing or that original pressing is probably worth something you know so you go on ebay and maybe you sell that test pressing for a thousand pounds um so you basically like uh what that's like a thousand times your initial investment so you, and let's say if someone buys it you then you get a thousand pounds, but Fleetwood Mac doesn't get a thousand pounds. They get nothing off of that sale, you know? So I think that Fleetwood Mac probably don't need a thousand dollars, but for smaller artists, I think like that dynamic is really interesting. Having this like chain of like who owns what and when they own it and, and how they sell it and what they sell it for is something that like, again, traditional art market has done really well uh the music industry hasn't done so well in that regard and so again another like opportunity here I think okay okay cool and one um event that you did with refraction recently was during Miami art week um it was a three-day event with loads of panels and performances um what was a highlight of that event obviously a pretty big one to end the year on with lots of people within that space yeah it was amazing so over the course of the event it was actually but we packed a lot into two days I mean I think for folks who aren't familiar the kind of first week of December in Miami like a huge cast of characters like uh, descend on the city like celebrities and art buyers and it's traditionally like really every like big art gallery in the world exhibits there and there's like often really high priced artwork sold there so it's like for people who are interested in um art it's become sort of this like big yearly pilgrimage for people and then but because of that a lot of like side events have popped up and now there's like a there's sort of the a Miami like Art Basel is the original one but then now there's all of these other art fairs and all of these other pop-up events so it's like it's really like an experience but I think it felt powerful to be able to give artists um, whether that was like DJs or digital artists or you know creative thinkers the opportunity to like exhibit in a space like that and have you know sort of a really again this like really like diverse cast of characters privy to their work um I think that that was something like really cool to and and to have something that really felt like meaningful to like the local Miami community as well like we uh, partnered with a lot of people in in Miami to make sure that that event felt like something that was being produced alongside people in Miami because again a lot of people descend on the space uh on the city and then leave 
a week later kind of with like no with no trace you know and that's kind of we're part we're interested in like building that trace you know like leaving those breadcrumbs and being like you're part of this now just because like if we threw up an event at your venue like you're you're part of this community now you know and maybe maybe that only looks like us you know being in Miami once a year but like that that feels meaningful to me and I think it feels meaningful to like a lot of our partners there so yeah there was like um sort of a real range of DJ sets at Refractions um Miami party there was I think something wild like 40 artists like digital artworks on display there was this amazing um sort of rig built by uh this visual and installation artist named Craig Barrow uh and the the exhibition was was really really cool uh and then as part of the daytime programming I worked with um the team at Water and Music uh which is also a DAO um but a community of people who uh, listeners of the podcast might be familiar with. Uh, and we collaborated on a series of talks and roundtable uh, discussions sort of around that question that I was asking myself two years ago, of like, who are we building this new internet for and who's building it and why are they building it? Um, so we kind of had a, a group of voices from across the space, whether that was like people building infrastructure or people working on music products or musicians themselves. Um, and then the other two roundtables focused primarily on um, artificial intelligence and so less less Web3 focused, but um, I think a lot of people who are interested in Web3 are interested in sort of the current buzz around artificial intelligence and machine learning. So we kind of wanted to unpack some of the implications that those emerging technologies have on music creation and music curation. That is absolutely fascinating it was cool it was amazing we're gonna be like publishing um that that the talk on web3 will be published um as part of a an nft drop actually that water and music is doing so for folks like interested in in digging in there will be some kind of i think it's really important to like get your hands on it and realize that it's not that complicated so uh maybe we can link to that in the show notes if it's out in time because i think that would be a cool way for folks to kind of explore a little bit more um and then with we had a lot of really interesting findings from the ai roundtable sessions um and are kind of experimenting with how we're going to present those best. What came out of that um, roundtable discussion, like thinking about what this space looks like 12 months from now, what were people's thoughts on that? Do, do you mean with like Web3 or with artificial intelligence? I am referring to Web3 specifically. What did people think this space is going to look like 12 months from now? Yeah, that's a really good question, actually. I mean, I think that everybody, all like the sort of like voices that we heard on that panel were really hopeful about things sort of becoming like increasingly diverse and increasingly or maybe decreasingly about like the financialization of things and kind of removing 
these big price tags from music projects and just having people who are like a little bit more curious with like experimenting with new technology and, you know, sort of, I guess the thread of this discussion is like sort of new ways to distribute artwork. And I think that we hope that people will just continue to experiment. I hope that like a year from now, there's all these projects that I'm like, wow, I could never have conceived that, you know, I really like to have conversations like this with, with artists or people who are like way more creatively minded than me because they come up with just like the most interesting questions and I hope like come up with really interesting projects. Mm. Amazing. Okay. Watch the space. Cool. So a um, couple of questions that we ask all of our guests being a music industry podcast, what would you say is your go-to record I feel like we need to make a playlist about all of these songs. We've got so many guests sharing what their favorite artists and tracks are. I am really happy you asked me this in, in advance because <laughs> I feel like I was put on the spot about this the other day and I really panicked. I was like, oh my God, I have no idea what to say. Um, so my answer is different now than that time. Although the records I said that time were uh, Fleetwood Mac, Patti Smith, and Erica Badu, which I still stand by. Those are kind of my like desert island discs. But I would say like my go-to, especially over the last, especially since it came out, it only came out a few years ago, uh, is Nala Sinefro's Space 1.8. Uh, it's this really, really amazing, uh, I guess we could call it ambient jazz. <laughs> um record out on warp i think it came out at the end of 2021 uh she now is based in london um i think she's pretty young um but it's just this really beautiful record like i feel like i was listening to it i always listen to it uh when I travel, it's one of the only records I have downloaded on my phone because it just like, I don't know, kind of your, it lets you like drop into it no matter where you are. And I think that I really um, am grateful to have that record in my life. Love that. And for anyone listening who is interested in pursuing a career in Web3, what is one actionable piece of, of advice that you would give them? super actionable but like either join refraction or join water music uh there's a wealth of knowledge in like both of our communities and i think that i guess more generally my piece of advice would be like ask questions be curious go on like uh click rabbit holes that take you to weird places and corners of the internet um i think that like following people you think are interesting on twitter joining discords that you are curious about um but yeah i would say like if any of what we've talked about in this conversation resonates i'd really recommend uh checking out the refraction community and the water and music community. Um, I'd also recommend checking out Friends with Benefits, but I can understand that maybe for some folks, uh, it feels a little bit more intimidating. Um, and and Friends with Benefits, I guess, is a little bit more interested in, in culture and communities at large. For people really interested in like this kind of intersection of uh, Web3 and music, refraction and water and music, join us. <laughs> brilliant what a way to end thank you so much caitlin what a wealth of knowledge you have shared with us thank you so much again thank you for having me it's really been uh, a pleasure
Well, if you enjoyed that, please do share with anyone else who you think would be interested to hear more about the fascinating world that is Web3. Links to Refraction, Water and Music and other references are included in the episode notes. And with that, until next time. This podcast is produced by Rosie Bennett. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.